Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, big show coming up. Jonathan Wall, our buddy, former member of the Canucks front office, will we'll stop by at 1, and then uh, Dimitri, of course, at 1.30. And I want to talk to John about how roster management so at the deadline right the moment the deadline passes there's a ton of weird rules that change mm-hmm. so like you're limited to only four call-ups but your roster limits lifted it's no longer a 23-man roster but the cap's still in place so there's limitations there how does that impact say your desire to maybe sign a phil kessel mm-hmm. how do how does that impact who you target here's another one a, a player that's up on in the on the nhl roster if they're reassigned to the american league after uh, their cap hit stays on your books. Like there's all this like little weird stuff that um, while having managed NHL rosters for 15 years um, is like uniquely suited to discuss. And, and I think there's some subtle, interesting nuggets that we can get into in terms of how the Canucks should and probably will approach the trade deadline well, in the weeks ahead. And it's even more fascinating and complicated with the Elias Patterson uh, situation unfolding at the exact same time. Right. And potentially, well, uh, Unfolding to whatever extent it is currently unfolding. I don't know if there's going to be a resolution before the trade deadline. It sure sounds like the Canucks would love for there to be a resolution before the trade deadline. Uh, we'll see if that ends up being the case, however. I, I, yeah, it's so weird, man. I really, th- I really, It's a weird one. I really thought, like, I woke up today thinking 50-50. I've refreshed my inbox so many times. Like, I thought it was 50-50 I'd be at a press conference Like, that we'd today. get the presser announcement, yeah. Well, because they go on the road. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not back until the deadline. You know, I, I mean, especially if something's in the drawer... If it's just a matter of when you announce it, like, are you really like, given given that, you know, Ian McIntyre and Harmon Dial are going to be the only media members on the on this road trip? Like, I don't even I haven't even talked to Mac about it. I don't even know if he'll be there, but it's not like Mac to miss a, a trip to South, Southern California. Um, but, you know, you're not usually going to make a major earth shattering announcement on the road, especially one that you can use to, like, drive season ticket sales. Get your memberships, Pedersen forever. You know you're not going to miss that opportunity. So uh, you know, in some ways, if it's not if it's not today, I feel like it's it's got to be a full week. We will see. Now you can always do the press conference when you get back or whatever, or, right? Or via Zoom. You if you the, and if you're just desperate to get the pen on paper and get the deal done. And, and let's be real, it's not your like you're you're just saying, uh, Elias. Hey, Elias, um, we can't announce it till we're back in Vancouver, so you can do a press conference. It's like I'll sign now. <laughs> Do it now. Actually, the Canucks should try that. (laughs) We'll let you sign it on the road and do it five minutes on Zoom. That's all you have to do. You don't have to do a real press conference. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So they've gone on this skid since the All-Star break and now having lost six of seven. And, you know, a lot of people looking for answers. What's caused this? What's changed? Is it just uh, a bad stretch or is there something else going on? And one person who, you know, obviously a lot of it has been about Elias Patterson, but the uh, the other Elias, Elias Lindholm, has come in for a fair share of criticism as well. Somebody texting in, like I said the other day, Lindholm was a huge part of the issue. Of course, he joined the team post-All-Star break, coincides with this run of underwhelming play. I don't think, look, I, obviously Lindholm has not been a home run so far, but it's not as if he is causing the rest of the team to play poorly. They just miss Andre Kuzmenko, man. Clearly, yeah. Um... So talking had some commentary when Lindholm first came, when the Lindholm trade first occurred, where he said, it's on me to find a spot in the lineup for Lindholm that works, mm-hmm. put him in a position to succeed. I don't think they've done that with Lindholm on that third line. Well, what did you think about Archie Bance's game last night? I didn't think it was strong. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Um and I'm not, it's not like, and that's why Lindholm hasn't looked good. It's Baines' fault. That's no, not what I'm trying to say, not. but it's just, that line wasn't clicking. That line, if, if you were trying to put Lindholm in a position to succeed, I don't think that was happening last night. So there's two tracks on which an Archdeep Baines evaluation or discussion should occur, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first track is, how's he trending from the perspective of like his long ability to have an NHL yep. career? And, you know, I think there's been a lot to like from his four games on that end. 
The other one is, can this guy help the team now mm-hmm. as like, you know, a first choice option ahead of a Phil DiGiuseppe, a Sam Lafferty type, mm-hmm. right? Because you could have Neil Zaman in the lineup right now. So Neil Zaman, throw him in there too. And, you know, for me, I think I'm probably, I- I'm I'm jury still out, obviously, on both on both scores. But to me, I'd sort of say this guy looks like he's got a long NHL future ahead of him, and I, I actually really like a lot of his game, especially the effort level and the, the defensive awareness, which I think is not just present but noticeable, impactful on, on a game-to-game basis. And then the other side of it is, can he help this team now, this season? And on that side, I'm I'm cooler. You know, I, I want to see more, obviously, before I'm proclaiming it with certainty one way or another. But it, it, it is sort of tracking to me to be one of those, um, like, yes, but not yet. Yeah. You know? And that's totally fine. If you'd, beginning of the season, if it was, hey, he's going to play really, really well in the AHL, get a call up, get an audition at the NHL level, look good, but like he needs a little bit more seasoning before he's ready, that would have been a great year. That's a great year for our steep bands, right? And so maybe, like, I am probably a little more to the, I don't know if he's ready to help the team right now ahead of those guys uh, that you mentioned. Not that he's super far off, but I just think it's fair. Okay, look, we got him some run here. Uh, you got to look at what he can do. He did some really impressive things. Just because he's not ready to help right now, that's not a huge negative against no, the player. It's absolutely just, not. That's just it, this is a good lineup. This yeah. is a tough lineup to crack and help, and they're going to be playing some really important games. Let's not overstate it, though. This team has some bottom six openings at the moment. Yep. No, a, I, yeah, no, it does. very seriously, it does. But still, like you're 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 talking about jumping over a st- long time established NHL players for the most part. Let me reframe this for you and ask you a question. Okay. Do you want to see Vasily Podkolzin? Before the deadline. I don't know about before the deadline. I want to see him at some point this year. And I still I still think if we're talking about, you know, size, physicality, forechecking, well, all of that. That's why I think I want to see him. That's why I've always thought, like, I don't, I wouldn't rule out Pod Colson in the playoffs at some point here. And well, but it, you want to give him some runway, obviously. Well, give him some games then first. I yeah. mean, my, my, but I don't know if it has to be before the play play or before the trade well, deadline. I think it does if we're talking about like if we're even weighing. Would you rather have Greenway plus RD or Gensel? or Gensel? You know, like if you're weighing paying for size, don't you want to see if the size you have in your lineup can work? Yeah, to me though, it's just you. Why not do both? Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you go get Greenway and Bot Colson is helping you out on your fourth line and bringing that element, that's a bonus. That's awesome. I don't have a problem with that. So I don't, and, and like, really, what do they have? Three games left before the deadline? So how much are you going to learn? Are you going to be comfortable passing on established NHLer with size in favor of Vasily Podkolz in your lineup based on what he does in three games at the NHL level? That's my question, right? So I, look, get him up anytime. I don't really care, but I don't know if it's going to change my deadline plans based on what he does in a little three-game audition. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, fair enough. But I, I do think... I just think, I think he can he's help got, right now. I think he's got to be an option. I just if think you're he can look, help. Their bottom six has not been good. No. It has not been strong. And we're talking about size. We're talking about the team getting pushed around, not really being able to establish their forecheck. Those are the things, theoretically, that Pot Colson should be able to do. And the problem in the past has been confidence. I wonder if, if you bring him up and you're able to put him in a role where it's like, there's only a handful of things you really need to focus on, and it's being physical, it's playing with pace, and it's forechecking. Go do that. I wonder if that's a position where he can have some success and help this team. Yeah, go play with high energy and be the sorest loser on the ice. That's yeah. all. That's all we want. Yeah, you know, I think he can do that. So go tick off opponents. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I'd be. I, I I have the appetite to see it. I have the appetite to see it, especially coming out of last night, where I. I don't want to use the term pushed around, but I, I will use the term playoff ready. The Kings looked more playoff ready than the Canucks. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that's that's going to be a huge storyline for what? What do they have, 20 games yeah. left right now? You're gearing up. Yeah, gear up. And the process has got to start soon here because <laughs> right now they're not gearing up. They should be, but they're not. Yeah, well, and more than that, don't leave the door open. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> seven games ago. Right, seven games ago, the Canucks had what, eighty points? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Eighty points with 
<laughs> with 55 games played? I mean, at that point, it was hard to see them getting less than 110. And now that's very much in play. And if you're under 110, the, the Oilers can catch you. Yeah, 100% they can. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The door is 100% open here, and you got to turn that trend around. I'm uh, not agreeing with 100%. Unlocked. 100% unlocked. <laughs> okay. Um, on Lindholm, man. as we talk about, okay, has he been put in position to succeed? I, what do you think his role should be right now? Like, what? Uh, how, how do you see him best able to help the team at the moment? I mean, I just don't want to see too much more of him. Like, I don't know that him and Garland has worked at all. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, I don't want to mess with the pew suitor on Miller and Besser's wing because I think that's it's been worked great. really well. Yeah, yep. like that's been a find for the Canucks. They should stick with it so long as it continues to be. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd be interested in seeing something like Lindholm with Hoaglander and Lafferty or Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do him on the third line, I'd like to see something like that with Garland moving up. Um, you know, I'm okay with him continuing to play with Garland o- or, you know, at some point too, I do still think if you're, especially if you're going to sick Miller on Tufts the way that they have, I think Miller, Lindholm, Besser with Lindholm is the nominal center, but it doesn't really matter. Both guys take yep. draws on their strong sides. Um, that to me is something that I at least want to see at length. I, his minutes haven't been high enough and there's just so little evident chemistry like I feel like that line I feel like if you gave that line a goal for every time they crossed the blue line and just like had an offensive zone touch with possession they'd be like even by goal differential that's how frequently they're in the offensive end I wouldn't mind seeing Lindholm with Garland and Joshua when he's back eventually although obviously there's going to be the temptation to just put Bluger back there and that's that's fair enough I do think that if you are if you're unsatisfied with what you're getting offensively from Elias Lindholm, which is totally fair. To me, the strategy is kind of, okay, fall back on what he does really well. And we've seen already that he can be a really, really good defensive player. We know Tockett loves what he can do defensively. So I would kind of lean towards what you were saying there. Find the way to use him in a matchup role, right? You're okay. It's not working offensively. Let's build some confidence here. Let's at least get some value from him and put him in a position where we know we can play to his strengths, and that's defensively. So whether that's with Miller and you say, you know what, we're not with the way Miller's playing, we're not willing to take him out of the matchup role, so we're going to really load up and put together a monster defensive line with Miller and Lindholm, whether you assemble another defensive line with just Lindholm uh, centering it and let Miller play softer minutes, whatever it is, to me, lean on that role for Lindholm, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, the offense will come. We'll figure out the power play. You'll be a part of it. Right now, go out there and be a beast defensively. That's where I would start with with Elias Lindholm. And I, I don't know what the configuration of that looks like, but that's what you know he can do as kind of a baseline right? More than anything else. So why not lean into that at this point? Yeah. And and I think he needs more time before we like really sort of judge that trade or, or worry about it. Like the fact of the matter is that when you trade for a player like Elias Lindholm midseason, his month of February is not what anyone's going to think about. Not what you're counting on? No, like five years from now, when we discuss Canucks deadline trades of the past, this month is going to either be a sign of something that got decided in May and April, Right. Or, or um, you know, a, a, a reminder not to worry too much about how a guy fits in in the first month because it, it's really about the long, the long run of it, the mm-hmm. long haul. Um, but I'm sure at the team level, there's at least some concern with the fact that it hasn't been a more impactful addition to this point. Oh yeah, that's not. It hasn't gone how you would want it to go. That's no. for sure. Um, I would love to see him have more of an impact on special teams as well, right? Because, again, you're kind of looking at maybe it's five-on-five offense. We talked about this. That's not his calling card. He's not going to be a five-on-five offensive driver. But theoretically, there's all of these other things that he should be able to help you with. And special teams is included on both of those. special teams have fallen apart. And that's the thing. I don't think it's his fault. No, it's not. But you'd like to see him move the needle. And I do think they got to get consistently back to – loading up the first power play unit, right? And, like, last night, they get their first power play, and it's the Miller group over the boards, which means it's Philip Hronick on the blue line and not Quinn Hughes. 
And guess what? They have a ton of trouble getting set up and gaining the zone and breaking the puck out with the man advantage because Quinn Hughes isn't out there. And Quinn Hughes is so, so good at doing just that. And, you know, we were talking like, look, this team's in a skid. Sometimes you need to find something to do to really jolt them. And I could buy into the power play shuffle as part of that, right? Like, hey, Here's a jolt to the system, guys. You're not together. We're completely throwing it in a blender. We're splitting you up. We're going 1A, 1B. This is supposed to be a shock to the system. It hasn't worked. And now it just looks awkward because you've got JT Miller out there without Quinn Hughes. You're separating your best players. You've got Elias Pettersson out there with Arshdeep Baines early in his NHL career. Look, I know Tockett said sometimes you need a break. I think that time is over. <laughs> it's time It's time to get back together, get get it together, and figure out a way to make it work with everyone on one unit. Since the All-Star break, the Canucks are bottom five in shot attempt rate, bottom, uh, sorry, bottom 10 in shot attempt rate, bottom 10 in shot rate, bottom 10 in expected goals for on the power play. That's not going to cut it. It's not good. Miller with some nice work, though, to like, fake the up high pass before finding Besser and obviously a sick release Mm -hmm. from Brock Besser. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) all five guys, like, I don't know who the fifth guy is though. Jamie, who's the fifth guy in your mind? Lindholm. Yeah. I think it should be. Would you say Garland? I don't know. I I don't know that I know who the fifth guy is, which I, I do think is sort of one of the underrated parts of where they do miss Kuzmenko. Like, or an underrated reason to go acquire some size up front. I don't know that they actually have a natural net front guy. That's fair. I think it can work with Lindholm as the fifth guy. Maybe you add a, a deadline addition and you slot him in there. I'm not married to it. I'm but willing I think to give he's, him more time. I think he's the clear uh, number one option. All right, Jonathan Wall is going to join us in the next segment. Hey, the Vancouver Giants, they're playing some great hockey right now. They host the Kelowna Rockets tonight at the LEC. Tickets still available. For more on the Vancouver Giants, here is the Giants report with play-by-play man Nathan Cantor. Tonight, we find out if the Vancouver Giants can keep riding the high from last Saturday's emphatic 7-1 thumping of the Kamloops Blazers. The Giants bring in a nine-game winning streak on home ice into tonight's battle with the Kelowna Rockets. A stretch where the Giants have outscored their opponents 44-21. Last Saturday, 4,500 fans witnessed the first Western Hockey League hat-trick for Giants rookie Cameron Schmidt, which gave the Prince George product 22 goals in just 48 games this season, which is just three goals shy of tying the Giants' franchise record for goals in a season by a 16-year-old rookie, set in 2003-2004 by Gilbert Brule. He had 25 goals in 67 games. Schmidt's play of late, 12 goals in his last 15, has been just a part of the Giants' recent string of success, which has seen the club go 15-5-1 since January 1st. The story of the season, though, for the Giants continues to be 20-year-old goaltender Brett Merwald. He continues to shine in the crease. He has an 11-1-1 record in his last 13 games. His 25 wins are now tied for the second most in the Western Hockey League. Goaltending coach Paul Fricker says Merwald should be proud of what he's been able to accomplish this season. This has got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with anybody other than him. Here is someone who is a focused individual who has just decided that he can do this. And he's going about doing it. And the the, the this is he wants to be a pro. And he's going to try and do everything he can. And I don't know how much more you can do. So am I proud? Of course I am, but I think that it's he and his parents and uh, all the people that have helped him get to this point, uh, uh, including the Giants. Now tonight's game against the Rockets obviously has some standings implications. A win, and you stretch the gap between you and Kelowna to a much more comfortable five points. Lose, and that gap closes to a single point. Good news for the Giants, Colton Roberts is expected to return to the blue line tonight for the Giants after a five-game absence. Another reminder, this weekend is a busy one for the Vancouver Giants. Three games in three days, as they will hit the road on Saturday to battle the Kamloops Blazers for a 6 p.m. puck drop right here on Sportsnet 650. And then they'll return home to the friendly confines of the Langley Event Center on Sunday afternoon for a 4 p.m. showdown with the Seattle Thunderbirds. As always, you can get your tickets to tonight's game, Sunday's game, or any of the remaining Giants' six home games at VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan Cantor.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C dot com. The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call, and we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline, where we are joined by friend of the show, a former Canucks front office member, longtime member of the Canucks front office. He is Jonathan Wall. Jonathan, thank you for doing this. It's been a while. How are you? It has been a while. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing really well. It's been uh, an eventful, exciting, fascinating week here covering the Vancouver Canucks. And of course, part of that is we're just a week away from the trade deadline. Give us a sense of just what it's like in a, in a uh, NHL front office, how hectic it is. What are you focusing on uh, at this juncture of the season, a week away from the deadline? Absolutely. I mean, I was fortunate to be sort of through two different sides of the deadline through the building side where you're looking at the deadline as your last chance to sort of put that team together that you think has a chance to, to make a run in the playoffs. And then I've also been part of deadlines where you're trying to maybe sell off some assets, recoup some assets and try to build the team up for the future. So you're really just making sure you have all your preparation done, making sure you understand what's going on in the league, what teams are looking for, what they may have available uh, just working with your scouts, working with your, with your analysts and, and just making sure you have a, you know, a finger on the pulse of the whole league. John, with the way that the rules for roster management change post deadline, how heavily does that have to factor or weigh on the specific like sequencing of how a team might, for example, um, you know, sign a, a veteran scoring winger who's currently practicing with their American league team? <laughs> yeah. Well, basically at the, at the trade deadline, the NHL draws a line kind of in your roster. And if you're above the line, you're above the line in the NHL. If you're below the line, you are in, in the American League or, you know, ECHL. And once you are above the line, you can no longer be put below the line. If you're below the line, you're subject to the NHL's four recall rule, which, you know, with emergencies, you can get around it. But the team basically has four recalls. So you have to be really careful as you're building your your sort of deadline roster. If you've got a player coming back from LTI, you know, in two weeks, you have to be really careful to make sure you've cleared cap space to allow that player to come back. You've got, you know, the ability to sign a player like a Kessel, for example, who would not count as a recall. But um, on the morning of the deadline, the roster, the 23-man roster limit is eliminated. So you still have the cap, you still have to follow the cap rules, but you can add as many players to your roster at that time if you want. So you really have to balance what you're trying to do, maintain flexibility, figure out who you may want to be in, in the minors for their playoff run or for experience, and then make sure you have room for any new players that you have coming in or guys coming back from injury. How does that impact how a team might flesh out? We know as playoff runs go along, right, teams often use – eight to 10 defensemen uh, until you need them, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Once you need them, yeah. they are they are like gold. In, yeah. in fleshing out your depth, is there ways to use the below-the-line status of, of a certain player to your advantage? Like, do you target ever players that are going to be below the line for sort of with sort of future emergencies in mind? I think you have to. I mean, you know, you're, you're sort of working with your NHL team, you know, but you also have an eye on your American League team. And obviously with, you know, Canucks ownership owning the team in Abbotsford, mm. they want to have a successful group down there as well. So, you know, someone like, you know, Ryan Johnson is probably really pushing, you know, the NHL, you know, or the, the Canucks team to be looking at players potentially to add for Abbotsford. But then you're also adding those depth players that you can recall after the deadline. And sometimes it's actually better to acquire a player who is below the line already because it doesn't hit your cap up top. It gives you some flexibility. And then you can recall that player later if you need them. To, to come back to how you'd use it to your advantage, like, is there a, a potential approach that you could take with a player in Kessel's position where you, like, sign him on the day of so that he's above the line 
and like assign him immediately on a training or like um sorry, what do they call it? The conditioning go, conditioning loan, yeah. And then bring him up to play his first game like mid March. Like is that an option that a team could consider? You you could, but it's still if you make that recall from the conditioning loan, it does count against one of your uh, four okay. recalls. Yeah. It, it's amazing. The NHL when you look at the way they've done all these rules, the CBA has got all these protections in place, you know, protecting against, you know, sending down a ton of players to free up cap space up top because then you can't recall them or recalling a bunch of players, you know, to um, to help you with LTI, but then you can't get them down for their playoff run. Like they really have this protection in place. And really the, the protection is geared in a lot of ways to protect the integrity of the American Hockey League to force teams to keep their players, you know, with their American hockey league team. So you're not seeing teams either stack their American league team for a playoff run or, you know, decimate their team uh, on a playoff run. With, so fans will say, and this is a particular bugaboo of mine, so I'm going to ask you to address it. Fans will say that, Uh that for all that the NHL has closed those loopholes, it certainly is convenient that every Vegas star is going to be back in game one of the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, You know, I know we all remember the good old days when teams would at least have the decency to wait until game two of the playoffs, Jay wall. But, um, (laughs) but, uh, but will you explain to people why, it's not actually good news that a player like Mark Stone has uh, reportedly a ruptured spleen. Lacerated, well, I believe. Lacerated, lacerated I, spleen. I, yeah. Excuse me. I, I, I mean, are you asking me as a, a medical opinion? No, no, I don't no. Think a lot. no. The, just, just the idea that just to discuss LTI, the mechanism, what it's designed to do, and why the uproar over how teams use it to enter the playoffs with a with a lineup above a $81.5 million cap is – not necessarily the loophole people cast it as. Well, I mean, I think the challenge with, with LTI is, you know, you get the relief in the, in, the, in the short term, but it's really hard to get out of LTI. And that's where I think it's not this, it's not this free pass. You know, you've got the, you know, you have your bonuses tagged on to the following year. So generally you're starting probably at a deficit when you start the offseason. So your offseason cap is actually reduced which means your off-season overage is reduced, so you have less money to spend in the off-season. And then you start the year with you know, a cap penalty, and you're, you're always chasing. It's a really hard to get out of LTI, and that's where I think you know, it's, not this, it's not this free pass that everyone thinks. And, and the other thing, too, is the, you know, the NHL are, you know, people could say what they want, but at the end of the day, they're, they are vigilant with these things. They have independent doctors. They have independent medical experts that are looking at stuff. And, you know, you, you can't tell me that the NHL immediately, you know, their, their radar isn't up going, okay, well, Vegas is doing this. We're hearing about it. We got to make sure this is, this is on the up and up. Well, and of course the other part of it is it's not just the LTI aspect, but it's, it's the, the alternative would be enforcing the salary cap in the playoffs. Right. And then that whole, that has a whole other host of complications, you know, including potentially forcing teams to, to play shorthanded in the playoffs. So even if you don't like the status quo, I think the NHL quite wisely says we want to give some, the team some extra flexibility and breathing room in the Stanley cup playoffs. For sure. I mean, you know, and it, it, you know, I think uh, Alex Edler for us, I can't remember 2010, maybe. Uh, oh yeah, 2010 or 2011. He played in Game Two. 2011 against <laughs> Chicago. Well, you're you're just playoff. outing what I was referencing, John. <laughs> so, okay. He played in Game Two. Yeah. So you know, again, it, it, the NHL is on top of these things, and you know they're not just letting players you know go into LTI without having you know some oversight uh, uh, to it. So you know, again, I know it it, it may have some optical things. But, you know, and the other thing the league is really going to push, too, is that, hey, if he's ready in game 80, like, that's when he should come back. You know, players need to be activated when they're healthy. So, you know, it does – the, the, the midterm injuries are always the worst when – and, sorry, th- these are humans. Obviously, any injury is bad. I don't mean to make it sound, you know, so cut and dry. But these midterm injuries where, you know, a guy gets hurt this week and he's out three weeks. Right or he's out, you know, two and a half weeks, or it's a four to six week injury, and you just don't know how to, you know, how to slot that in. That's where it gets really challenging. And, 
And that's where just preparation is key, knowing what you have, what your outs are. I know, you know, I haven't been on in a bit, but when I was on before, we talked a lot about those outs. Like as you're coming up to the playoffs, you need to know where your outs are. Okay, if I need to clear space, who are my waiver exempt players? Who could potentially go on LTI that's been backdated? Like what are my outs to get me into the place I want to be? And as we uh, come up to the trade deadline here again, just a week away from next Friday's trade deadline, you know, one of the things we've heard about the Canucks is they'd maybe like to add a player with some term or a player that they can sign going into next year. But it's also fascinating because we also know they have a whole bunch of restricted free agents and unrestricted free agents on the books as well, including a, a couple of pretty significant ones you might have heard of mm-hmm. and Elias Pettersson uh, and Philip Ronick. How difficult it is, is it to kind of do when you have this volume of players out of contract after this year, how hard is it to project what your salary cap situation is going to look like next year when there is so much uncertainty? It's really hard. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to project, you're trying to figure out what the cap's going to be, you know, what it's going to cost you to sign each players. You've got your off season cap, which has a lot of complications, especially if you've got a player who potentially could get an offer sheet and that's where it gets really really tricky when you get into the off season and you've got this off season cap that's hanging over your head if you have a, already have a cap penalty your off season cap is reduced and you really have a hard time going into off season LTI maximizing your space so that's where you really have to watch these things but it feels like where the where the Canucks are at you know it's sort of at some point you're almost in a, a go for it and figure it out sort of thing and if you got to offload a player in the summer, you got to make a decision in the summer to do it. I think, you know, you almost are in these, these positions where you got so many players firing on all cylinders. You almost have to, you know, sort of take that shorter term approach. I know people in our market like this longer term, you know, stock draft picks and, and really build for the future. But some, at some point you kind of got to say, hey, like we, we've got everything going for us right now. You know, PD's on a, a great deal of a contract. And maybe maybe it's time to sort of push our cards a little in a little more aggressively. And you mentioned the threat of an offer sheet that can kind of complicate your you know your off season planning because all of a sudden you could have a lot of money tied up uh, when you weren't expecting. Is there a similar dynamic with a player like Philip Peronik who's eligible for arbitration, right? Because that's something that can kick the can farther into the summer and it creates that uncertainty where you know maybe on July first you're not exactly sure how much you can commit to a variety of players. Well, it is for sure, and that's again that that uncertainty that does make it does make it challenging. And his his case, I haven't seen the numbers for next year, but his case should put him into the you know the the uh, where you can walk away from oh, it and easily a player potentially for for nothing. Yeah. So, but again, you're sitting at this and you're trying to do your off season cap planning, and and you know, you're looking at a guy as you know is he going to get a, a six million dollar award, a eight million dollar award? Like you're trying to build these things and where it may hurt is you may have a, a chance to sign, you know, a, a, a depth player to a one-way contract, or maybe you've got a guy who really wants to come to Abbotsford who played a lot of NHL games last year and his, mm. his off season cap, it is going to be significant. And all of a sudden you're, you're having to decide, you know, do I want to go after that guy and tie up that off season money while I've got these big ticket players, that could still, you know, could still need to be fitted, you know, need to fit in. And then again, if, you know, if you've got a player who is a high profile RFA who might get an offer sheet and you've got these other signings happening, then you see your off season cap space dwindling and that gets quite stressful as well. One thing we're sort of contending with here in trying to project even 18 months out, Jay Wall, is the possibility you know, uh, $87.5 million cap is, like, pretty tightly projected. Could be a mid-90s million dollar cap hit the next year, right? Like, they, these are escalator seasons that we're about to enter short of a massive devaluation of the Canadian currency or a revenue-sapping pandemic or or one of those uncomfortable realities outside of the sport. A TV network going... Oh, right, Bally Sports, yeah. That's a, that's a good one, too. Um, how let's, let's look in our crystal ball here, Jay wall. And, and I'm going to ask you for a prediction or two about one of the, one of the impacts of significant short-term cap growth that maybe wouldn't be an intuitive thing that we'd anticipate. Well, I think the, the impact is we saw it, 
you know, when we had, you know, massive cap growth, I think in the mid 2000s, where mm-hmm. the, as the floor rises, you end up with teams having to sign players to really right. uh, take up space. So you were seeing players that were being signed at, you know, you know, kind of outrageous numbers, um, seemingly because teams are like, well, we've got to spend the money. Let's just spend it. I think what, what's going to be a relief for teams is, is there really has been so little space in the system for the last, I don't know, five or seven years now that it's been really hard for teams to really, you know, move stuff around. So I think there is going to be some benefit there. But, um, you know, the one thing about cap space is, is GMs and owners like to fill it. They like to use it. Right. So, you know, you're going to see this, you know, if, if the cap goes up 10 million, I, I, I'm pretty sure that ownership is going to go to the GM and say, hey, like, who, what $10 million player are we getting? We want to, like, we got the space, let's use it. And that's why it disappears quite quickly, too. Yeah, it goes away in a hurry, as we've seen in the NHL yeah. before, in other sports, too, when the when the cap jumps up. Uh, J-Wall, really appreciate the time. As always, thanks for doing this. Hopefully we can chat again soon. My pleasure, guys, anytime. That is Jonathan Wall, longtime former Canucks front office member, weighing in on uh, all of the many complications and rules and details that go into trying to put a roster together, planning what you're going to do at the deadline. And it's everything from the, you know, kind of the minutia of the CBA, right? Where it's recalls, number of recalls you have, conditioning stints below the line, above the line to the big picture. How much are we going to be paying Elias Pettersson? How much are we going to be paying Philip Ronick? All of those things go into inform what your strategy at the deadline is going to be. Yeah. And, you know, his point is an interesting one too, about needing to fill the cap space because, you know, the NHL's cap system so rigid, right? And over the last few years, as I mean, we haven't had meaningful cap growth in six years, mm-hmm. okay? Over the last six years, because the NHL doesn't have a luxury tax system, has fully guaranteed player contracts, what, what Alan Walsh calls a triple hard, hard cap, hardest in North American pro sports by a mile. Oh, yeah. When you then also have no cap growth, in an environment where teams had signed contracts projecting cap growth, you amplify the stakes of the scarce resource environment that the NHL is anyway, which is in contrast with like the NFL, where you can actually have too much cap space because all the good players get franchise tagged. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And you're like, we'll sign Christian Kirk for $25 million. He's, Okay. You know, that's not a needle mover, even though he's fitting really well in Jacksonville. Bad example. Still not a needle mover, even if he's fit in well. <laughs> My point being that if you have too much cap space, it ac- can actually be hard to spend it. Right. And I don't know that we get all the way there, but where we are going to get is that the pressure is going to like massively turn down. Like the dial is going to massively flip in terms of how desperate teams are to get off of cap space. And, yep. and by the way, we actually already saw it this past summer. Like other than the Kings doing Sean Walker, Cal Peterson, you know, retaining someone Provorov to facilitate that deal. Like, other than that Kings move to open up the cap space to make the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, almost no one paid to get off cap space. Right? Like, teams already, because at least there was the anticipation of future growth, behaved like teams under far less pressure. And I'm curious to see how much that flips in terms of how, in particular, like, star players are valued on second contracts. Does does a growing cap make teams less, like, even more hesitant to do bridge deals and more aggressive in locking up core guys to second contracts? That would be sort of one thing that I'd anticipate, especially because bridge contracts are always miserable yes as we're seeing you know like right now well and with Besser too I mean every guy that gets bridged it's just an unpleasant the moment you bridge a guy unless you're winning Stanley Cups and and, like Braden Point style like go to the cup final and literally all three years of his bridge contract it immediately opens up a discussion of their future and in some of these bigger markets like I feel like it's an overwhelming thing it certainly has been here I do think also from a Canucks perspective, 
with the cap going up and with that, you know, a little bit this year and then the future growth as well. As we talk about, you know, okay, are they going to try to like if they if they go out and trade for Jake Gensel, are they going to be able to sign him? And that's like that's going to be a big ticket. It's like, wow, can they really fit that in alongside what you're giving up for Pedersen, what you're giving up for Philip Ronick? Like you look at the math and it gets a little dicey. But I do wonder, we're so used to the money they have committed on the wings being essentially unmovable, but the combination of the team having a good year, Besser and Garland having good individual years, and the cap going up, like I think there there could be significantly more flexibility for the Canucks in the summer. I'm not saying they're going to be shopping those players, but even a guy like Ilya Mikheyev, who normally you would look at, oh, guy who hasn't scored in 30 games, has two years at 4.75 left on his deal. Good luck moving that without giving up a significant sweetener. But as you said, because of his injury history, right, because of the way he's viewed around the league, and I think because of the cap going up, all of a sudden I don't think that's nearly as daunting as it would have been a couple of years ago. So that, like, to me, that I wonder if that's part of the willingness for the Canucks to entertain going after guys with term, going after for even pending UFAs that they might have to give money to, uh, big money to, in uh, in Jake Gensel because you know what we're gonna be there's going to be options there's gonna be teams out there that are willing to take on salary and uh, we maybe can do some different things in the summer that we haven't been able to do over the last couple of summers and can I just say not even from a Canucks perspective but like can we please get there already can we please get to a spot where teams <laughs> can be more creative and there can be more movement and flexibility in the system rather than just yeah this guy's contract is bad and we're stuck with it forever no one ever wants to take it it's awful we can't do anything I mean. I don't want to. I don't want to say that I disagree with you, but just don't get your hopes up. <laughs> if your standard is hopefully we get to a point where NHL teams are more creative as a group, um, you know I just don't want you to be disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. All right, Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockey PDO Cast. Final segment of the week here on a Friday. Up next on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. We are live from the Kintech studio. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, we are now joined, as we are always at this time, by our pal, the host, of the hockey PDO cast here on what is go what is that noise? Is everyone else hearing that? I heard this crazy noise in my headphones. Do you guys hear that? What is that? What is that? It sounds like a dog barking. It's an alien invasion. All right. Anyways, I have no idea what's happening. I'm so I'm so thrown off. I'm not I'm not wearing headphones, so I'm great. <laughs> I also didn't hear anything, Jamie. So I, I hope you're I think okay. it's that, I think it's that dog in you. Yeah. <laughs> Who's got nice. that dog in them? All right. Not me. Uh, from the hockey PDO cast, he is Dmitry Filipovich, and we're off to a great start already. What's going on, Dmitry? It's good to have you back, man. We missed you last. Okay, week. I think Dmitry's mic is just messed up here. Oh my man! Yeah, yeah. So sick. This mic is cursed. We're on the curse of Dmitry. We're off to a good start, we're Dmitry. How, how, how are fantastic you? Fantastic start. I was saying, Jamie, good to have you back. We yes. I missed you last week, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what we what we draft. This Friday. We've put even less thought than normal into uh, a, it. A suggestion in the inbox says sandwiches. I can see that. But it's a week before the deadline. I think we should We draft. should probably do some hockey content. What did you guys draft last week with Josh? I don't remember. <laughs> um let let's draft let's draft trade fits. Oh. You know what we drafted last last Friday, Jamie? It was actually our worst draft ever. Oh, wow. Okay. That's saying something. I got a lot of messages from people who listened to the show being like, I cannot believe how bad that was. It was Teams who aren't in the playoffs to make or like how far they're gonna make it this season. Oh right. What? And, and then and then basically it was like the king, the Kings were the first pick. 
No, but they're in the playoffs. No, it was, it was teams not in the top three, right? At the divisions. And oh, okay, okay. So okay. it was the Kings, and then every other pick was just like so bad. We hated every single one of them. We couldn't talk ourselves into it, and it was just 15 minutes of of depression to end what was otherwise a fun week of a hockey contest. 15 minutes. Uh, by the way, you guys were like singing into the mics like Sonny and Cher here, like leaning into the mic together, passing back and forth. Uh, 15 looking minutes. Looking into each other's eyes. It's great. 15 minutes of being like Minnesota Wild. I love you, babe. <laughs> um all right yeah we'll do let's do something hockey related. i think i think we should draft trade fits so you pick a player who's like oft rumored okay. in the week ahead and give him a team okay so you'll you'll pick, pick both a player and a team for them to go to and you don't right. have to like execute the whole cap compliant no because no, 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 we already no, no. did that yeah. earlier this week but that's to that yeah um, all right. In terms of uh, Canucks opponents coming up here, and actually, I want to talk some deadline stuff uh, with the Canucks with you as well, Dimitri. But uh, they play the Ducks on Sunday. I don't know if we need to belabor the Ducks. They're uh, they're really bad. Yeah. What's the- going on? Like, well, actually, I do want to talk to you about them now because there was like there was a moment early in the season when Drance was trying to convince me like the Ducks they're going to hang around the playoff race. They've done anything but. Why has that not been the case? What's gone wrong? Yeah. If Tom had access to his mic right now, he probably would have said they're foul. Um, no, they're, they're bad. And it's very disappointing because they started out the year. It seems like another lifetime ago now, but remember the year at the start of the year, they were winning all these comeback games and we're like, Oh, the ducks are finally putting it together. This is going to be a fun team. And then they had a bunch of injuries and yeah. kind of went back to reality. Yeah. It's similar to the, the Sabres story. It's kind of, we got, we, maybe we put the cart before the horse a little bit and we mm. got too excited with them. Um, you know, with Minchikov there and Carlson, like they're still like, young potential and talent and reasons to watch them and get excited. But obviously this season they're not going anywhere and they're going to be adding another top five pick to that uh, already top ranked prospect pool. They've got a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of young players. How good is Leo, Car- Leo Carlson? He's really good. I mean, obviously, you know, the start of the year they're, they're managing his, uh, his yeah. games played and then he got hurt. And so he missed some time coming back into the fold, but I think he's shown all the tools that, that, or why he w- went second overall and, and certainly has all the upside. So, yeah, he's really fun to watch, particularly playing with Troy Terry. So, yeah, I, I enjoy watching this Ducks team because of those individual mm-hmm. pieces, even though the actual results at the end of the day don't line up with it. So I think the Sabres is a good comp because there's, yeah, like Leo Carlson, McTavish is a stud. You know, they got Michukov, like Troy Terry, established player, but really, really fun. And, you know, the Sabres, obviously, like Thompson, Dahlien. Now, the Sabres have accomplished more as a team, right. very low bar, than the Ducks. But it is just one of those things where, okay, there's, like, to go from fun to good sometimes feels like it's, like, the hardest jump to make in the NHL, you know? No, certainly. And... You know, to their credit, they have so much flexibility moving forward, especially on the cap. Yeah. Like, I think they have like thirty-five million dollars in cap space or something. I, I forget what the exact total is, but I'm very curious to see. We know that in the past couple of years, they've basically been overpaying to bring in mm-hmm. kind of veterans to to just get to the cap floor, essentially with Strom and Vitrano yep. and then Kaloran last summer and Gudas. So yep. very curious to see if they kind of consolidate that and take a big swing on an actual impact guy that becomes available as a star potentially in the trade market as opposed to just sort of cobbling it together with these veteran pieces but i think they're sort of keeping the runway open for a lot of these young guys once they're off their elcs um all right la now we saw we just saw la last night so what do you like we were talking it ends up 5-1 and it looks really really ugly but five on five it's not as if la was tilting the ice against the canucks where, how would you kind of rank these two teams relative to each other? Are, are they pretty evenly matched in your eyes? I think so, yeah. I, I think it was much more of what we've come to expect from this Kings team. I know they wound up scoring a couple goals there, in particular like the the Fiala-Kopitar goal on the power play, I believe, was like a level of offensive brilliance that we don't often see from this team. Like it was that give and go, and I just thought it was just such a beautiful pass and, and, and execution by them. But yeah, like they're going to control the game territorially. They're going to get looks, but it's never really that threatening. If anything, I thought that like Byfield just watching him and the fact that they played him 23 minutes last night or something like that, like if they're going to start doing that moving forward, then maybe that elevates their ceiling a little bit because he's pretty much like whatever line he's on is their first line and their most important driver. And so if they're going to use him that way, I think that maybe changes their outlook a little bit. I'm going to ask you to do uh, go through an exercise. I, I had a private conversation with Dom LeCision earlier today doing this, and that I'm just we're disclosing that so people know that my in-real-life conversations are not much different than my bits on the radio. Are just as ridiculous as your radio hits? <laughs> Me and Dom were tearing <laughs> in private for no audience. The four Pacific Division playoff teams, because I know you don't think Seattle's going to make it anyway. I do, but you don't. 
the four Pacific Division teams. Give me your tears, Dimitri. I thought you were going to say, oh, me and Dom were talking off the record and we were drafting pizza toppings. And we were, <laughs> you're gonna say, and we were talking about how Quinn Hughes is a tier three defenseman in the NHL. Okay, so so you don't want me to rank them. You want me to specifically tier them? Before, I want to say, me and Dom have, I, I told him not to do it. I just want, it, I want that on the record. Okay, I'm going to go tier one. This is a cop-out to say Vegas if they're healthy. Yes. That's a cop-out. So I have to pick. Yeah, you've got a price in there uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm Okay, so under this evaluation, I'm still a bit iffy on Mark Stone's health. I think he'll play at some point, especially like as they progress further into the playoffs. But I think Eichel will be back at full health, and I think uh, looking ahead to our trade deadline draft, I think they're going to add a, a quality piece up front to kind of compensate for Stone's absence. I'm going to go Edmonton and Vegas at the top. Then I'm going to go Vancouver, just slightly below. And then I'm going to go L.A., just slightly below. And then a massive canyon. And then I get to the Kraken and the Flames, who I know they just traded Tanev. We'll see what happens with Markstrom. They're going to trade Hannafin. But they're playing really well still, right? And then in particular, I had a couple impressive wins uh, recently against both L.A., who they dominated in that game, and Edmonton uh, as the same. So, yeah. I think that's kind of pretty clearly here, and then you get into Anaheim and all that good stuff. Jamie, go through the exercise of the Solical Edmonton one. Then I'd probably go. I don't like. I'd probably go like Vegas, Vancouver, L.A. in a tier. Yeah, I think that's you know right. what I mean. That would like, be my just, exact. Yeah, those are all. I think. I don't even know that I'd order them. I'd be like. 2A, 2B, 2C, because I I honestly think it's a flip a coin. There's a a playoff series between any combination of those teams, and I'm not looking at, like, oh, they're going to walk away with this uh, in any version of it. You know what I mean? I also think Vegas is going to set those series odds. If Vancouver versus LA, Vancouver versus Vegas, I think the line gets set with, like, plus 110s, plus 120, minus 120, minus 110. Like, I think those are going to be pick them series in terms of prices, whereas Edmonton would be favored over all three. Like, without, with with a bullet. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, with the health caveats and everything, but I think Edmonton is... I mean, they're terrifying, right? <laughs> when Connor McDavid is going, uh, they're very, very scary. Um, I wanted to ask, so we were debating this. We've heard the Canucks in connection with Jake Gensel. Mm-hmm. We've also heard them in connection with, you know, a bunch of... I don't want to say, like, pure depth players, but, you know, more middle of the roster. Brandon Duhame is listening yeah. to this being no, like, hey, no, no, what no, no, about no. me? No, no, no. Like, on. Jordan Greenway, right? That type of player. So... Durant and I were talking, would you rather just Jake Gensel as an ad or Jordan Greenway and Alex Carrier from Nashville? Factoring in acquisition costs. Factoring yeah, in acquisition costs. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I would prefer Jake Gensel Factoring just slightly to cost. Jordan Greenway. Um, well, I guess it depends on what you think that acquisition cost is, right? Let's go 2025 first, Pod Colson and one other prospect in the yeah, system. DPD. Versus, versus... Uh, let's say a future second rounder and a future third rounder. Oh man, that's tough. As I'm, I'd still lean towards the Gensel, assuming that 2025 first is like very heavily protected. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just in case things go off the rails next season. Just because I think like that's actually something of substance, where particularly in terms of team needs and that five on five scoring you were mentioning, like he's such an efficient scorer in so many diverse mm-hmm. ways and would add an entirely different skill set to this team and, and potentially even, you know, just make life so much easier for a guy like Carlos Pedersen that that's what I would want to see. And so it's a pretty expensive cost. But at this point, with the season you're having, and in particular, um, if you're getting Pedersen locked up long term and you're just riding that wave, I'm okay with that as opposed to kind of still giving away valuable draft picks, but for players who aren't actually going to make that big of a difference. That's fair. So do you? how much do you buy the, the Canucks are too small? idea right because i think that's where the jordan greenway is coming thing is right. coming from so. well i i don't buy that at all because i don't really think that's a real thing um i think i think they need more skill and so i think that's what i would prioritize i i don't think the 515 goal scoring concerns are going to be addressed by getting bigger hockey players so i i think in this case i would like to see them kind of feel go like you and talk disagree on that <laughs> Yeah, maybe on a few things, but you know, I think I think all, the semantics of it. But I feel like we probably oh in the no conversation. Yeah. I feel like we'd probably come to the same conclusion. Hundred yeah. percent. I mean, look, he's talked a lot about like, hey, we need to be generating more chances in the offensive zone, generating more high danger chances, all of those things. So he's seeing it uh, as well, and it was definitely on display last night. Uh, speaking of hypothetical trades, can we get you to build 
a package from the Carolina Hurricanes that would tempt you to trade Elias Pettersson. Oh, I, I mean, I'm sure you could. It would involve pretty much their entire team, <laughs> I think. Right? I the the ones that I saw speculated with like a lot of these prospects are yeah. just such non-starters for me. I don't really see what that. Would well, and it's tough too because like the first round picks hold so little value because they're good every year. And right, you're giving them Elias Pettersson. So it's like we're going to give you our next two first round picks. It's like, oh wow, great! great. I get the 29th best <laughs> player in this class. Yeah. Awesome, two 29th overall picks. And it's like Natchez, like yeah, nice nice player, but right. it's just really hard to to make up the value that a one super elite player like Elias Pettersson is. I don't know. I've got a take on this. People have it all wrong. The key... Fascinating. I've never heard you say something like that before. The key to making a fair trade with the Hurricanes goes through Jarvis, Nikishin, which is their point-per-game six-foot-five KHL defenseman who's mm-hmm. 22, and Bradley Nadeau. It's not about the guys whose names you know. It's about those guys because at least there you have at least you have a chance, multiple tickets at a superstar. I mean, they definitely don't have. Yeah, like you can't do it with roster players. I know Seth Jarvis is a roster player, but you know what I mean. You can't do it with roster players. But I don't know that even with the lottery tickets, does that really sway you ultimately? Tom, are you saying it's not about the names you know? It's about the names you know. I, I wasn't saying that. <laughs> um, no, like Nikishin's probably the best player outside the NHL and is 22. I mean, it, literally, if that guy played for a Canadian franchise, he'd be so, so famous mm-hmm. right now. The amount of Nikishin highlights we would have on Canucks Twitter on a daily basis would blow your mind. Like, that's to me, that's not... Lottery tickets, not like a fair caption there. And then Nadeau's got 39 points in 30 games as an 18-year-old in the NCAA. I mean, the, the, these are top, top prospects. So there you go. Thomas Drant says, trade Elias Patterson for Nikishin and Nadeau. I'm more, I'm more defending the value of that package. And yet, if you make that trade today or tomorrow, you're essentially punting That's a really on good this point. season after you've already invested assets in like Elias Lindholm and Nikita Zadorov and, and, and given this fan base a reason to care about this team for the first time in like how long? And I, it's, it's a good point, and I want to note, I, I do under no circumstances <laughs> countenance trading Elias Pettersson or think it's possible to do a fair trade. That's a good point about the problem of using it as a pressure point, though, right now. It's like, well, you can only really credibly make that threat if you're getting value right now, right? Current value. Not it, You can get the best prospects in the world, but if it's not helping you win a Stanley Cup, I mean... Somebody said we were talking about this in the first segment. Somebody's like, "You guys really doubt the like the cojones on Rutherford?" It's like, I don't doubt the cojones, but I doubt is he gonna? How much is he willing to damage his own Stanley Cup chances? Gutsy and reckless are two distinct concepts. Yeah, you know, like that's an important one. I I, I think more than anything though, the point you're making, right? That there's no there is no way to win mm-hmm. a Pedersen trade right now for the Canucks. Period. There's no possible shape. We tried to go through this exercise earlier this week and and came to the same conclusion. There's no way to get better. No, there's no way to try to win the Stanley Cup this year and simultaneously win the Pedersen trade. Yeah. Right. And and, and to frame it another way, like, even if what the Hurricanes were acquiring was Pedersen with the uncertainty of how he'd play this summer and the probability that he'd go Kachuk on them. I still don't know that there's a price that they should balk at, given the quality of their team and the quality of Pedersen and how significantly he addresses their one remaining need, which is conversion efficiency. And the fact that how many players in a row now have they been kind of linked to here but ultimately wound up falling just short of because they either had a certain price on them or they couldn't kind of push it across the finish line. It would mean so much for that franchise. But to that point... Like, there's two types of teams that would be, I mean, everyone's interested in, in Pedersen right now, but the two teams that would be the most logical ones acquiring him are either teams who are really bad and would be sort of using him as their franchise centerpiece, and then those teams don't have players that are good right now to help the Canucks, or teams that are good and tr- and have a bunch of young players that are good and trying to win the Cup, but then they don't want to give away those give players away those to get players. Pedersen because it's kind of taking a, st- a lateral step. So, All right, let's, before we draft, I'm just going to ask you the question. Vegas, sleeping giant or non-elite team? Oh, I think sleeping giant. I, I've been on this all year. I, obviously, assuming they have some level of help, health heading into the playoffs, but I think they've kind of been going through the motions for a lot of it. I think they started off the year and they were like, yeah, we're like we're still really good. And then after the first 15, 20 games, they've basically been on cruise control. And assuming they have at least 90% 
of their full power lineup, I, I still think they're right there in that tier with Oilers as, as the best teams in the West and the best teams in the league. All right, we want to do our drafts. Yeah, trade draft. fits. Trade Players fits. on the block to go to a specific team. Yep. I want to go first. Okay, that's fine. Jake Gensel to the Canucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want to see it. I really want to see it. Jordan Greenway and Alex Carrier to the Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I love how, too, it's like we've grouped them together. They don't even play for the same team. It's not like, oh, go get them in a package deal. It's like, that's not possible. They yeah. play for different teams. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I'm going to go. Um, I'll go Pavel Buchnevich to the Hurricanes. Now that are we assuming they like once you take a player they're off the board? Yeah, so, like I can't we go can't cancel to keep, someone yeah, else. Yeah, I think so, right? Okay, I'll go Butchnevich to the Hurricanes. Picking third again and having lost out on really good options, I'm going to pick some players uh, to go to certain teams. Yep, that's yep. my plan. Interesting, interesting. Just going to need a second here. I'm that's going like to- when a GM is like, "We're going to be cap compliant." It's like, "Well, I hope so." That's the exercise. <laughs> I'm going to pick someone for Edmonton. I'm just trying to figure out who exactly I want to pick for them. I'm going to get give the Edmonton Oilers a right-handed defenseman. I'm going to give them Sean Walker. That'll be pick one. I'll give them Sean Walker. And then I'm going to give the New York Rangers Jordan Eberle. Ooh. it's a good one. I like Eberle. I'm going to go... I'll go with Jacob Markstrom to the Devils, even though although he did give quite an interesting interview to to uh, to Eric Francis today, but it does seem like they're at least playing hardball or, or pretending like they're not going to move him until the summer. So, but I'll still go Markstrom to the Devils because I think the Devils still have the upside and they clearly need the goalie. You did Bucinevich, right? So he's off the board. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I will go. Let's see here. I'll like Adam Henrique. Uh, I'll give him to the Boston Bruins. Look. He's not a star, but they need centers. So I'll give him. I'll go Adam Henrique to the Boston Bruins. I've got another pick here. Let's see. I'm gonna go. I'm trying to figure out who needs Noah Hannafin the most because we got to move Noah Hannafin at some point here. I kind of like him to the Red Wings. The more I think about it, I'm gonna say Noah Hannafin. To the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. Just seems like a Florida Panthers type of move to me. And they're loaded already, and that would be a sick acquisition for them. I like that. Okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit here because this player isn't a rental, but we've talked about him in past trade shows, and Thomas and I did a big thing on this on my show, so I'm going to tease that a little bit here. I'm going to do Yanni Gord to the Colorado Avalanche in Ooh. a monster trade involving Bowen Byram and a bunch of futures Whoa. and all that. Oh, all right. I, I think like the, the fit between player and team is so off the charts. Put him on a line with Val Nachushkin and Arturi Lekkinen and just forecheck the opposition just into dust. And the Kraken should be making a type of trade like that because they're going to trade him at this time next year most likely, and it's going to be for like half the price of what they could get right now. So they should really be trading him and Larson and Eberly and all their UFAs and just building out their prospect pool the way they have the past couple of years. You forgot to note that Will Borgen was in that hypothetical trade. <laughs> <clears throat> demerits, demerits doled out to you, my friend. Um, yeah, that was spicy, Dim. I'm going to find it hard. One. I'm going to find it hard to answer that. I'm going to go Vladimir Tarasenko to the Los Angeles Kings. Ah, needle mover right there. Well, for a team that can't score, yeah, he's a good fit. You know, I, I mean, I'm, he's not my favorite guy. Would I rather the Kings get Jason Zucker? Maybe, but I figured I'd better go with the bigger name guy just because, you know, I wanted to at least have something good. I didn't want us to end this exercise and Dimitri was like I have Markstrom and Yan Gord and I, they're all on different teams and I'm like I have Sean Walker and Jason Zucker well it feels like this is my worst draft I think actually. I mean no that's trust me no it's not <laughs> but outside of Gensel and Bucinevich like who are the big names who are the really star players that are going to move at this one Hannafin I guess if he moves star player Noah Hannafin he's we're I the mean, first we're the first station to ever describe him as such unless unless it's in the local newspaper and star defenseman, or like the gossip pages, you know, like how sometimes page two, the New York right, Post, right, will right, be like, right. star yeah, forward anon- Sean Avery. Item. It's oh, like, yeah, star, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who? <laughs> star of Oppenheimer? But I feel like if you're not getting Gensel or Buchnevich, like if you're like, we need a needle-moving center, you're kind of out of luck now. Or even on the blue line, outside of Noah Hannafin, who I do think is a tier above everyone else, in ter- who's out there still. Yeah, we're in a situation where... 
the top centers are off the board, the top defensemen are off the board, yep. and the two top goalies are apparently not, not moving. moving. And so it's going to be quite a fun <laughs> trade deadline week. Friday is going to be a lot of, oh, right, on the air for five hours. Do you, Let's go. Do you know about this the seventh defenseman? Because you should get excited. Big news. Nick Sealer signed an extension to stay in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was too good. Um, yeah. The name Adam Henrique and the word sweepstakes should never be used together. Well, we got to talk about this. Now, I'm not a member of the Pro Hockey Writers Association, but I feel like you guys got a memo at some point at the start of the season where every single person has colluded to make it like the Avalanche need Adam Henrique or the Rangers. No, 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 no. It's like, has any of these people actually watched Adam Henrique play? He's clearly not the answer. For a long time, it was the Avs are going to get Lindholm, right? Like that was like, oh yeah, they're just you know they like they traded Tatar and they're just setting it up to go get Lindholm. So now it's like, I definitely thought they were going to be the Lindholm front. So right. now it's okay. Well, we thought they were positioning for a center, and who's left on the market? Oh, I guess it's Adam Henrique. I think that's where it's coming more than Adam Henrique is the solution to their problems, right? It's like what's left? Right. He's the best center left, basically, unless somebody else becomes available, unless Kevin Hayes moves the needle for you from St. Louis. <laughs> I've heard of worse ideas. <laughs> On this show, in fact. Yeah. In in 100%. this very segment. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. It's been a fun week. I know you're tired of the Elias Pettersson stuff, but man, I've enjoyed it this week. It's been fun. We'll Has see. it? Yes. Are you kidding me? It's been great. Trade offers on the table for Elias Pettersson a week out of the trade deadline. You kidding me? It's exciting. That's fun. I mean, I, don't, I just don't. I don't think it was that serious. We will see if there's an update on Monday. Have a great weekend. We're back next week here on Sportsnet 650.